Welcome to the Canadian Pediatric Society's Resident Section Executive Meet the Residents podcast. With visiting electives cancelled again this year, we recognize how hard it can be to get to know the programs and the people that make them up. We're here to bring you one step closer to the residents so that you can hear firsthand what it's like to practice at the various institutions. Please note that the opinions in this interview represent only those of the pediatric residents and do not necessarily represent the institutions where they practice. Today we chat with Kevin, a PGY2 resident at the McMaster Pediatrics Program, who shares with us his experience in residency thus far. All right, let's jump right into my conversation with Kevin. Thank you so much, Kevin, for joining us today and giving us a bit of insight about the McMaster Pediatric Program. Before we jump right in, do you want to tell us a little bit sort of about yourself and your journey, you know, before med school, if you did something in between, and then med school and residency? Of course, and thanks for having me, Nardine. Um, So a little bit about myself. Where am I from? I'm originally from a small town uh, a couple hours northwest of Ottawa called Deep River, middle of nowhere, uh, population 4,000. I grew up there until I was 18 years old. And then ever since then, I've kind of been a homebody in Hamilton. So what I mean by that is I did my undergraduate degree at McMaster and then my medical school. Uh, McMaster and now my uh, pediatric residency training at McMaster as well so I'm a little bit boring in that regard I suspect Um, but it's been a it's been a great journey for me and uh, Mac is truly a second home at this point and uh, I've really really enjoyed it. Okay yeah I can imagine sort of you've got the back-to-back so clearly something is uh, working for you and then I guess specifically now going into peds is that something you always knew you wanted to do or were there other things that you were debating in med school? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I tried to keep an open mind when I entered med school. Um, I quickly did the sorting out surgical versus medical specialties and the OR scared me more so than excited me. So I knew medicine more so was for me. And I wanted more longitudinal patient relationships. So that helped me narrow down my choices even more. And then I knew I I kind of always had a proclivity to work with children, kind of that uh, classic story of someone who, you know, worked at a daycare or uh, coached youth soccer or youth martial arts. So I knew I liked working with children, but I knew also that doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, I should go into pediatrics or I will go into pediatrics because certainly it's not all sunshine and daisies just because I like working with children outside of a medical setting. But at the end of the day, uh, the medicine and pediatrics interests me. I knew I liked working with the patient population and kind of sickness and in health, I suppose. Uh, so that sort of sealed the, the deal for me, although I did briefly consider uh, family medicine as well. And I think I would have been happy, but uh, I knew more specifically I liked caring for children. Okay, so it sounds like pediatrics kind of all together came together nicely for you and kind of fit all the things that you were looking for. Yes, it did. Okay. And then we'll get more specific sort of about McMaster. So we know obviously this year um, visiting electives couldn't be done. So for a lot of the out of province and sort of just actually out of institution um, applicants, we don't really get a chance to get a feel for what the different programs and institutions are like. So you yourself have been at McMaster for a while as a med student and a resident. So I guess what has your experience been like? Yeah, so it's a very welcoming place, I will say. Um, it's 
I, I feel like a lot of people say this, but it is um, an appropriate size where you have quite a bit of breadth of different, you know, uh, subspecialties to explore, but also it's small enough that you start to get to know the staff on a familiar, like a first name basis. They're very familiar. They're very friendly. Uh, and they're all quite a pleasure to work with. So that's one thing that I that I like about McMaster. Um, and specifically about the education, and I can get more in detail, there's certain aspects of um, our curriculum, whether it be social peds or our night float model that I think are um, more unique to us or help us stand out that are, are, that are really well liked by the uh, residents. Uh, so that's something else I would have to give a shout out to. Um, and then, of course, um, McMaster just in general being kind of the uh, problem-based learning and self-directed learning uh, kind of center, if you will. There's a lot of emphasis on being kind of a creative, self-directed learner, uh, which, which I enjoy. And then you mentioned sort of a few things that make the McMaster program unique, uh, things like the call model and things like that. Do you want to elaborate a bit more about those? For sure. So I can talk a little bit about the night float model. Um, so for us in general pediatrics, uh, we don't have a um, 24, 26 hour call model, which I really appreciate for a couple of reasons. Um, I think it helps for continuity on your other other blocks. Um, I think it's good for self-care and wellness uh, that your brain is uh, functions better, I think. Uh, on a night float model than maybe at your 26th hour of being awake. Um, and so what we do instead of like one in four call or whatever it may be, we have specific designated times throughout the year uh, in two week chunks at a time where we're on night float. And what that means is every other night you would work from around 4.30 p.m. to hand over the next day, which is usually around 7.30 or 8.30, depending on uh, whether it's a weekday, weekend. And so I like that model a little bit better. And we do that, that two week chunk, about three or four times throughout the year as a junior. And then as you graduate and become a senior, there's other night float models, uh, for example, in the PICU um, as well. That sounds, yeah, sounds kind of like a nice balance that they have set up for you. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And then to make up the rest of your call requirement, uh, because that kind of covers the nighttime component, uh, every now you will have to work every now and then weekend days uh, for CTU on Saturday and Sunday, and that tends to be graded as you go from PGY one to four. It'll become less and less um, uh, in terms of the commitment. And then I guess you offer sort of a nice perspective as well from that transition from medical student to a resident because you sort of did that at the same institution and then also that experience of kind of being a junior resident moving up to being a senior resident. Um, so how would you say your program, you know, supports those transitions and how has your experience been like? Yeah, um, so I will say I'm, all, I'm a quasi senior resident, not really quite yet. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> jump into those <laughs> shoes quite yet, uh, but that will come and I'm sure I will feel supported and I have been supported. But in terms of the transition from medical school to uh, residency, we have a boot camp, a designated boot camp at the beginning of the year. Um, I think in my year, and I'm a PGY2, it was uh, a, a few days or so to 
go through uh, common pediatric presentations, common managements, like frequently asked questions on nights, for example, frequently asked questions on the ward, what to expect from uh, different sub like subspecialties, services, and a chance for really the new residents uh, to get to know each other, to get to know the chiefs who generally run these sessions and uh, to really have any of their concerns heard. And then this year with CVME, I think that uh, process, that, that boot camp, was uh, stretched to be somewhere between one and two weeks. So it was nice. They have this kind of protected designated time to really get to know the program and have um, their questions answered without having any other designated rotations at the time. So it's a really nice easing into the responsibilities of residency. Mm -hmm. um, and then for transitioning to senior, that happens at the toward the middle or end of PGY2. The prerequisites are you have to finish uh, pick you days and nights. And then at that point, you're ready to be uh, a senior on nights for the ward. And then before you do that, you actually have a specific one week period where every night you work with uh, a more advanced senior to help you in what the roles will be for transitioning to senior overnight. So it's a very well supported process. And I am excited for it, but I'm also happy that I have a couple more months until I <laughs> have to do that. Okay, fair. So it sounds like things are organized that, you know, gradually you get more responsibilities, but it's kind of not thrown right at you. It's when you're ready and sort of well supported through the process. Yes, I'd agree. Okay, great. And then in terms of, again, being in the institution and seeing sort of interactions that we might not see, how much time would you say sort of as a junior resident, you're interacting with your seniors versus fellows versus staff, and then sort of how that changes as you sort of progress through your residency as well? Right. So I think as a junior resident, um, you always have, firstly, you always have a lot of face-to-face -face time with the staff, uh, which is really awesome and something I appreciate. I think when you are a junior, you, from your point of view, it might make more sense to kind of run things by your senior resident first. So just by virtue of that uh, kind of that decision tree, more often you'll be spending time with your senior resident or your fellows who are, you know, super accessible by, by phone or they'll just be on the unit with you. And then as you progress to more senior, there's certainly more um, conversations with the staff because then that's kind of your next person to run things by just by virtue of your seniority now. So I think how, based on how that all progresses, you might get a bit more, you know, face-to-face -face time with um, the staff when you're a senior, but not because you can't as a junior. Um, it's just sort of more efficient workflow um, otherwise. Okay, that makes sense. So kind of just based on who's sort of nearby and who you're bouncing off of ideas for. It's not really that they're inaccessible. No, not at all. They're, they're right there at the end of the day. If you want to chat with the staff as a PGO one, I certainly have run things by staff and been met welcome with questions and suggestions. It's um, not at all a um, worrisome thing to do to ask a staff, even as an R1 or an R2. Okay, perfect. And then we'll get into sort of some more specific highlights about the program. And you've already sort of touched on some um, some of your favorite things about the McMaster program. Is there anything else that you think, you know, makes the program stand out compared to other ones and something that you really appreciate about it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so something I really appreciate about our program, and I hope this is not too 
doesn't sound too cheesy. Uh, the people are fantastic. So it's a great group of residents. I think throughout the years, um, we, we bounce, you know, ideas off each other at the end of long days. We'll be helping each other with tasks. We'll be asking, you know, who wants to grab a coffee or can I get you a coffee? And that sort of collegiality is kind of preserved <clears throat> in between years and within the same years as well. So I enjoy mm -hmm. that. Uh, expanding on the people point, our program administrators and our program directors are fantastic. They listen to feedback. So our program directors listen to feedback and make changes based on feedback they, they receive from residents. I can talk about that more specifically later on. And our program administrators, they're responding to emails at nearly, you know, all hours of the day, <laughs> which uh, sometimes uh, I think to myself, you know, <laughs> this can wait. You don't need to reply to this at 9 p.m., you know. Um, but they're very organized and they keep us on track. Um, and then from a kind of academia or curriculum point of view, other than our night float, which I could, you know, talk about, talk about for ages. Uh, and first year, I do enjoy that we have a social pediatrics curriculum. Uh, so we specifically have a block to learn more about the social determinants of health and inequities that exist in our healthcare system and, uh, how they impact different populations. Uh, we got some reflective time. Uh, we also get to go on placements, chat with community uh, partners, uh, and learn about the resources in our area, because all these things are certainly very central to pediatrics. And oftentimes, the, the things we see involve solutions that are more complex than writing a prescription. So mm -hmm. it's it's nice to see that, uh, that broader kind of aspect of healthcare through our social peds rotation. Okay, great. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Kind of sounds like a blend of, you know, learning about the important determinants, but also getting to see them in practice. So it's a sounds like a great sort of combination of the two. Mm -hmm. And then sort of the other question that always comes up when we talk about how wonderful the pediatric programs are is kind of that, you know, there's always something that programs can work on and improve. Um, is there anything, you know, that you think the program's currently trying to work on and steps that they're taking to make those changes? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, it's uh, if there was nothing to change, then our work would be done. But I think there's always things to change and always things to improve. So one thing, a couple of things I can talk about is when I was in PGY1, um, we felt that we needed a little bit more community and ICU uh, exposure experience. We do have a rotation in that here in Hamilton, which serves as a reasonable baseline, but maybe not enough. And mm -hmm. so uh, our year rep at the time kind of heard our concerns brought it forward to the, the rpc so our kind of student council if you will and the dr hunter our program director and everyone all the other faculty and staff listened very closely and uh created extra time in our rotation schedule for now pgy2 so this coming you know december i have two months in a in a community level two nicu uh, all as a direct result of the feedback we had given in, in first year. So I think that was one area that we were working on and may continue to work on. We'll now have more data to evaluate how this kind of second year NICU kind of placement goes uh, and we can feed that back. And then another thing is we always want more procedures, more hands-on experience, whether that be in the PICU or the NICU. And uh, if it's uh, tricky to get those experiences or not, what can you do about it? And uh, I think we're always advocating, uh, you know, to those um, rotations to, you know, see us as junior, more junior residents as opposed to the fellows for these opportunities. But more than that, to, to implement other areas in our program where we can get procedure experience. So, for example, we have a specific chemonk procedure day that we can sign up for 
several times uh, throughout a month or throughout the year where you just go in, you'll have a staff supervising you and an anesthesiologist, and you'll just be doing LPs or bone mm -hmm. marrows. And that's a great way to get more hands-on experience. And that's something that's been a recent uh, change as well. And it's been fantastic. Yeah, those both sound great. I think, yeah, it sounds it's really important to have a program that listens to your feedback, but also sort of makes the changes. And it sounds like that's certainly the case here. So I'm sure that's something that's great to hear for uh, everybody interested in the program. And then in we've talked about sort of, you've talked about sort of the collegiality that's within the program, um, with the residents, with the fellows, and even just how you can have good interaction with staff and sort of reach out to them. Now, in terms of mentorship, is that something that's more informal in nature, kind of as you see people, you find mentors that you click with, or is there anything that's more formal built into the program? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's, I think, a couple levels or tiers of more formal mentorship that we have built in uh, with our MacPeds program. So I would say at, on, on one side, maybe on the more formal level, you are paired with an academic coach. And this person is a, a faculty, like a, a staff, you know, pediatrician or a subspecialist um, who kind of tracks your progress with you throughout the course of your residency. We'll look over your exam scores. We'll look over your uh, rotation feedback comments and we'll be able to advise you on, you know, next steps. Um, and you can talk with this person, I think, as much or as little as you'd like. So you could certainly, certainly the opportunity exists for that person to not only just be your academic advisor, but truly also uh, a mentor. So that's mm -hmm. one opportunity. Uh, a second opportunity that we have is uh, if that was, you know, more official, now we're moving to still, I would say, official, but maybe less official. We have a MacPeds mentorship group where we have about three or four uh, faculty per uh, group of, say, six or seven residents of between all years. So we have these little pockets of groups with residents and staff, and maybe, you know, uh, four or five times a year, we will all gather together and do fun activities, uh, whether that be go for ice cream, go for dinner, uh, do a, like a murder mystery. These are all things, of, <laughs> examples of real things we've done or I've done with my group. And it's been a lot of fun. So it provides a social opportunity, but also then an opportunity for, for networking and asking staff questions about um, residency goals, career goals, uh, life goals moving forward. And they, they can turn into some pretty, pretty fun chats and facilitate some cool opportunities. And then finally, I think what you alluded to uh, always exists where you might find, you know, staff, uh, whether you run across them in, in your clinical kind of rotations or with research or whatnot, that you get along with very, very well. And maybe you want to emulate parts of their uh, their practice and then you can certainly, you know, email them or, or you know, text them. And that that exists as well, for sure. Okay, so that sounds great. It sounds like it kind of exists on a spectrum of the opportunity is definitely there and it's built into the program and it's kind of up to you to, if you're interested in it, you definitely have access to, you know, benefit from it as much as you want. Exactly. Okay, perfect. And then sort of on that same front in terms of mentorship and also just kind of a little bit outside of the program and kind of caring for yourself outside of it, um, mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about wellness in terms of the night float schedule and how that sort of that promotes it for sure. Um, how do you feel that the program goes about, you know, promoting resident wellness and sort of some activities that they do that really you feel have been impact impactful? 
Yeah, and this is, it's a super important area. Of course, residency is tough, and we uh, all you know need these checks in place. Uh, our program does a good job at it. So we have specific, we specifically have wellness reps. Um, so three resident reps who coordinate wellness activities, uh, things like, you know, uh, for example, Festive Friends is coming up. So kind of our secret holiday gift exchange. Um, recently, they planned a post-OSCE, so post-exam uh, kind of outing um, social afterwards so that was really nice to kind of de-stress see everybody um there's been uh yoga back when the weather was a little bit more permissive <laughs> i would not want to be doing that right now yeah. uh, so there's certainly activities uh peppered in throughout the months uh from our wellness reps and our social reps as well uh kind of plan social activities um kind of all throughout the year and then the program itself of course we have um our resident um kind of support network. So we have this list of people we can contact, uh, whether it be um, senior residents or on the committee, whether it be uh, people from resident affairs uh, that we are able to contact and reach out to at any time. And then every now and then, one of our talks for academic half day is something called uh, treats and talks and treats, treats and talks. <laughs> I think it's treats and talks. That has a better <laughs> ring to it. And um, I think in the pre-COVID age, uh, everyone would gather around and the program would fund uh, like snacks and refreshments and people would have the chance to uh, chat about a like a rotation or their lives and de-stress. And now that's kind of morphed into in the Zoom world, um, you can certainly uh, still buy snacks and then submit a receipt for the program to reimburse you and then chat about anything you want uh, online with the people there. So I think there's uh, several different ways that we're able to kind of show wellness uh, more formally and as well as, you know, just being able to um, relax with friends and talk about work in and outside of a work setting. It's 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 really good for, for wellness. Definitely sort of a good balance of having these check ins as you go through sort of your residency. Mm -hmm. OK, and then we're going to shift gears a little bit to kind of if I'm walking in and I'm a clerk or I'm a resident um, who's in the McMaster program kind of what your day-to-day -day at the in, your institution is like and your experience there. So we'll start off very basic for this in terms of if I'm charting, am I charting on paper charts? Is there an EMR that I use? Yeah. What's it like? Okay, so bear with me, bear with me. Yes, we still have paper charts, um, So, but we're not you know, forever committed to the Stone Age. We have very <laughs> exciting news that our EMR, which exists already in uh, certain hospitals, at Mac in the adult world. Uh, so the EPIC, uh, I think mm -hmm. as people know it, uh, certainly exists at other, other pediatric institutions, is coming to McMaster. The target is June 2022. So in the next seven-ish months or so. So by the next residency year, uh, we should have, and we are aiming to have um, EPIC at McMaster Children's Hospital. So up until then, this paper, uh, and I've survived, look, I've made it through, uh, but we have an EMR coming our way. Okay, all right. So some changes sort of on the horizon there. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of, you know, logistics of accessing patient information that's from outside of hospital, what does that look like? Right, so it depends on where uh, the patient's coming from. So we have this, uh, you know, website called Clinical Connect, 
and that will let us look up lab results, transcriptions, uh, imaging, you name it, from many different hospitals around South, Southwestern Ontario region. And so including our commonly referred from community hospital. So that's very helpful. Um, and then if they're coming from sick kids, we have Ichin. I actually don't know what that stands for, but it's like E and then a CHN uh, access. So you can look at uh, their documentation. And then I think that's the main two outside of just our own um, charting, which is all on uh, Meditech for now. But uh, we'll like our lab results and things like that are, are available online on Meditech, but the actual writing notes and stuff is still handwritten. But I'm sure that will all change with uh, Epic. Okay. All right. So a few sort of different programs depending on where patients are coming from. Exactly. And then I'm sure diversity of the population is going to change things in the experience of the residents um, based on the different sites. So how would you describe the diversity in the population that you see and sort of your region's catchment area? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think we I think Hamilton in general has a reasonably diverse population and uh, that we serve a variety of different backgrounds, ethnicities, specifically to Hamilton. Uh, we do have um, a neighboring reserve, so we do see um, indigenous populations. Um, we do see um, a fair amount of um, different immigrant populations as well. So it's, uh, I think, a good balance and we're well supported and uh, in terms of, you know, making sure to use language line and we have that easily accessible in our hospital um, when kind of communicating with patients who uh, it makes sense for us to use that. And yeah, I think um, it's a pretty good balance and I've um, never really noticed too much per se of, of one thing you know, background or another. So that's kind of just been my experience. Okay. So you sort of just get a good diversity of the population that you see. And I'm sure with that comes diversity in the presentations that you're seeing as well. Um, what are the kind of day-to-day -day pediatric presentations that you tend to see lots of? Great question. I think it totally depends on what rotation you're on. So for example, uh, in Emerge, um, Maybe earlier on during the COVID age, we actually hadn't seen a lot of uh, RSV or bronchiolitis or asthma. I made it through a lot of PGY1, barely seeing any asthma or bronchiolitis. So that was odd. It's starting to come back mm. now. So I'm on, on PIC right now and we certainly see quite a bit of it. So it's, we're kind of in the thick of or entering the thick of respiratory season. So we'll see a lot of those common pediatric presentations like bronchiolitis, asthma, uh, requiring kind of your standard management. Um, Mental health, certainly, especially with COVID, has, has been uh, on the rise. So we see uh, eating disorders and, and mood disorders. I mean, unfortunately, but I suppose that's, that's you know, how it's been with, with the pandemic. Uh, and then the rest are very rotation, certainly dependent. So from things like UTI to more interesting zebras like um, GPA, granulomatous polyangiitis, I think. Uh, I only know the old name, which I know we're, we don't use anymore. Um, so it varies. It certainly varies. We do get the interesting zebras uh, because I think McMaster serves a wide catchment area and we are, you know, a quite large tertiary care center. But at the same time, there's quite a bit of uh, bread and butter. 
Okay, great. So sort of a mix of the two is what you would expect to see when you're practicing there. You get exposure to a wide variety of things, it sounds like. Yes. And then we're going to shift gears one more time, this time kind of stepping away from, you know, being a resident in the hospital and more so now living in sort of the surrounding area where you practice and what it's like to sort of what do you do with your time off in terms of the area? What are some fun things, you know, in Hamilton that you would do? Um, restaurants you would take advantage of? Kind of what do you do on your downtime? Oh, I love this question because <laughs> as important as medicine is, I think it's really a hat we wear. And I think we have many hats that we wear. So outside of medicine, um, let's see. Uh, I'll answer the restaurant question because I do enjoy Hamilton's <laughs> budding food scene. It's changed and expanded a lot in the past seven, eight years since I've been here. So we have the street called King William uh, that has a lot of kind of newer hip restaurants. And so there's a place called Hamburger. Uh, it serves hamburgers. <laughs> it's <Okay. laughs> uh, very, very cleverly. Um, and it's fantastic. Uh, we have a place called The Mule for tacos, which is really good. We have an abundance of pizza places. My favorite is uh, Shorty's Pizza on the, in the East End. So there's a, there's a ton of food places. And I would be happy to personally recommend, <laughs> you just have to name the genre or type of food, uh, uh, a restaurant or two to anybody. Uh, and then in terms of like what I like doing on my time off or what McMaster has to offer, I think it's actually the waterfall capital of Canada or something like that. I mean, it doesn't have as big of a one as Niagara Falls by any <laughs> means, but there's a lot of different small ones. We have uh, Coots Paradise behind McMaster. We have Dundas Peak, which is this big kind of, it's a bit of a, it's a small hike that you go up and you can see uh, over the city. So there's a lot of outdoorsy nature uh, type things to do, which might surprise someone to hear about Hamilton, which is maybe thought more so of a steel town. Mm -hmm. uh, that with the budding restaurant restaurant scene, uh, it makes it one of my one of my favorite places. Okay, so sounds like there's not a shortage of things, you know, to do on your spare time. So that's good. No, definitely no shortage. Okay. And again, sort of thinking of time off in terms of how does vacation work in your program and yeah, how many weeks do you get? And sort of, can you split those up? Is it in one block? Yeah, excellent question. Um, so I would have to remind myself of the PARO, uh, like the the, uh, the residency of Ontario kind of uh, rules, regulations, or the standard amount of vacation, including uh, professional days and things like that. So that total number is the same across all uh, residency programs in Ontario. Uh, how it works specifically about the details at McMaster, at least McMaster Pediatrics, we're quite fortunate in that at the beginning of the year, um, our lovely program director will ask us if we have any specific uh, longer term vacation requests, like more than two weeks in a row that we need to account for or certain times that we would prefer to be on vacation uh, ahead of time. So she knows not to schedule us for a night float or pick you, for example, or like pick you nights during those times. So we do get a little... Uh, quite a bit of um, upfront choice. And then as you go from block to block, you sort of submit your vacation as, as early as you know you you want it. Um, and again, those I think are all determined by by pair of rules, but we don't have them preset uh, in our in our program. So you have the complete liberty to choose uh, whenever you want to take your vacation and how to organize your vacation days and they aren't already pre-designated for you in any set way. 
Okay, so it's quite flexible based on what you want. Exactly. Um, and then kind of, again, going back to living in, you know, Hamilton, um, what is, we talked a little bit about, you know, all the things that you can do there in terms of living and sort of the cost of living. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. So it's, I think, I, I, you know, I'll be completely honest. I think it's become a little bit more prohibitive for sure over the past five, six, seven, eight years. Um, so the, I can't even, I, I can't even say for sure what the standard um, one or two bedroom place might rent for. I think I've, all I've got to say is it might be cheaper than some other places in Ontario, <laughs> maybe one other place in Ontario, but otherwise I think it is rather expensive. I think in the range, you might not be able to quote me fully on this, but somewhere between maybe like 1800 to $2,400 um, a month for a single um, kind of apartment, um, one bedroom type thing. But uh, don't quote me on that exactly. <laughs> um, and then, sorry, I don't know if that <laughs> properly answered your question, but I think that answers it. You know, we're not looking for a specific number, just kind of a an idea of what the cost of living is like and sort of kind of just to set the tone for people who might be moving from far away and aren't fam as familiar with Hamilton and the area itself. So that's definitely very helpful. Um, and then we talked a little bit about sort of just the activities that you do with your resident cohort in hospital and sort of how you support each other. Um, and then you chatted a bit about also kind of doing these activities outside of hospital. How much time would you say that your resident cohort and across the years do you, you know, spend time with each other outside? Um, I think it depends. So I think every year probably is a little bit different uh, in terms of different dynamics within the years and things like that. But for PGY2, like the year that I'm in, uh, if we are trying to plan after work uh, social events just among our cohort, it can, someone, you know, it's unfortunate that someone's always going to be on night float or someone might always be uh, kind of on a busier rotation and staying late. So you're never going to really get everybody. People might be away on elective. Um, but we do try to plan get togethers at people's houses um, reasonably frequently. Uh, so that would be, I would say, uh, a way that we hang out outside of work. And then inter-years as well, I think you'll uh, maybe naturally, our program's big enough with, you know, maybe 10 to 12 or so people per year that uh, there's a lot of different people you get to meet and get to become friends with across all the years. So I think amongst yourselves then too, you certainly um, can find your people and, and spend time with them outside of work. And it's, uh, it's a lot of good fun. Okay. Fantastic. So kind of you get to form those nice relationships in hospital and out. So that's definitely sort of a great, great thing for people coming into the program, that it's a nice and welcoming environment. So that's kind of been a really great overview. Kevin, you've sort of walked us through um, what it's like being in the institution, how you how the day to day process of being at McMaster works, some highlights about the program specifically, some things about the city and kind of the the pros of living there and kind of the environment that one can envision themselves in. Um, before we sort of close off, are there any pieces of advice you'd give to medical students who are interested specifically in the McMaster program this year? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I would say don't be afraid to uh, reach out to residents. Uh, I know we have uh, specific CARMS 
uh, information uh, session nights via Zoom and meet the resident nights via Zoom. Uh, so those, I think, would be uh, a good place to start and attend those and feel free to ask your questions. It's a no silly question zone, no judgment kind of zone. We're here to help. We're here to answer your questions. And then uh, I think a lot of us will be more than happy to talk uh, afterwards as well, whether it be via email or if you have any questions. So uh, I think we're all pretty accessible. So don't be afraid to ask questions and there are no dumb questions. Um, and otherwise, this is going to sound lame, uh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Truly do just be yourself. Um, you're all, I'm sure, great applicants. We'd be lucky to have you. And remember, we're not just interviewing you. like You're also interviewing us. So uh, try and ask uh, the questions you would want to know about our program to see if you like us. Uh, and I'm sure we would be <laughs> lucky to have you guys. So good luck and all the best with everything. Okay, perfect. I think that's a great tone to end it on in the end. Thank you again, Kevin, so much for taking the time to give us an inside sort of look into the McMaster program and um, get letting us get to know you as a resident at McMaster and the program better. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Canadian Pediatric Society's Meet the Residents podcast. We hope you found it helpful to hear directly from the residents about their experiences. To learn more, check out our other episodes featuring residents from other institutions across Canada.